Welcome to Agronomy Moment. I'm your host, Wendell Cohen. We bring in people who agree with me, disagree with me, and above all, are not afraid to say it like it is. Our goal here is to challenge what we think, understand the why behind agronomical advice, and most of all, eliminate the noise in the room that are distractions so we can focus on the information that is relevant to your situation. A moment called now, all living things need the here and now. Crops won't grow with rain next month, sunshine this fall, or the right nutrient applied next year. Decisions to protect the life of living things require us as parents, leaders, and farmers to make decisions for the moment and in the moment. This makes farming fast-paced with limited information to act upon. This podcast is about farmers making decisions in the moment for end results that last not only a month, a season, or year, but a lifetime, ultimately even your children's future. Your crop needs a decision in the moment. Your farm needs a decision in the moment. And that's where we come in. Come for the agronomy and stay for the fun. Let's make decisions that increase your potential. All right, now I'm going to go and share a screen. So just stick back and relax. I'm the one doing the bloopers now. No one else get in the way of my bloopers. <laughs> uh, wrong screen, share. So we're going to go over here and stop sharing one more time. That was my blooper for the day screen, and we want actually that one shared. Beautiful. All right, everyone, welcome here. I am joined today by a person, Scott Dickey. He hasn't been here for a while um, since taking on his role. What is it? You covered Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, right, Scott? Yes. Yep. And so a lot has happened probably since the last time you and I sat in this meeting room. I mean, we've had a 2023 year, which is a lot to say there. And Selena here is joining me again. She has been here through thick and thin this year, and we've had a lot of discussions. And in the interest of diving into some in, some things going forward, I wanted to reference and just pick your guys' brains as it relates to PFR Insight meetings that we've all just kind of come through. Just if you would... I'm just going to turn it over to you for a little bit and let you guys kind of run through and tell us a little bit about kind of some over the top things that were been discussed and topics of interest. Sure. Yeah. We can give a brief summary of the PFR insight meeting without getting into a lot of the details associated with it. You know, when we look at the broad amount of information we have available to cover at a meeting, like an insight meeting, it's, it's, it'd last all day long if we covered everything. So what we try to do is pick and choose topics that we feel are important uh, to the local areas that we cover and try to make uh, presentations that are hard hitting and uh, hopefully give you some thoughts on things that maybe you can try to implement on your farm. But one of the first things we covered in this particular series of meetings in Missouri was the, the growing season, kind of taking a look at some of the key reasons why, um, you know, we had a high amount of variability, you know, you'd see high yields in one uh, farm and then, you know, maybe a couple miles away, a significantly different yield level. And when you think about the impact we had with weather this year, that played a major role. But I don't also want to focus on the weather in regards to its impact locally on our growing season, but also the impact that has on how we look at data, how we um, look at our observations to make sure that we don't make decisions purely based on what we've seen locally. And so I think that's kind of one of the key importance sure. is to look at multi-year, multi-location information. And in some of these coming up slides, we'll kind of show why. One of the things I was going to just dive in here a little bit and ask about is, could we talk about as you go forward and you probably will but just a little bit about weather and as it relates to 
how much weight do we put on a particular year, even like 23, right? Type of thing. Well, you know, that, that's kind of the beauty of multi-year information. It's why we run our PFR products, oh, yeah. practices, and all that through three years multi-location so that you buffer out some of those extremes that are related to weather. Sure. You know, and that's why, um, you know, we'll hear guys say, well, this information didn't come from Missouri, so it doesn't apply to us. I, I think that's a, a little bit of a bad way to look at things because yeah. you can mislead yourself whether it's yield data, if we solely look at one small geography, yep. you, you have your highly variable years influencing that information much more extremely than you would if you look at a broader area over multiple years. Gotcha. You buffer out some of those extremes gotcha. and that helps out with your accuracy in predicting what should work for you. So, All right, let's get started. I yeah. like it. Well, when you look at the, this year, um, you know, we characterized by a high amount of variability and you think about the rainfall the temperature patterns we had, those are highly variable across the whole corn belt. And then another big factor was the smoke. We had a lot of smoke coming from the Canadian wildfires this year. And as you think about the smoke, it was a big deal, particularly in the east or in the U.S. earlier in the season. And then as the season progressed into that September timeframe, we saw more of it in the west. So we'll kind of dig into some of that. Uh, oops. That's all right. I don't know what happened. Nobody does. Why don't you just use this keyboard thing on the jig? Okay. And you can just use your arrows. And, yeah. And I think we're back. Okay. So again, looking at some of the variability, you know, we can kind of dig into some of the key characteristics. If you look at this year in regard to rainfall, and what I want to point out here is blue means less, brown means more. And that seems backwards. I would have thought they would have flipped that gauge around okay. a little bit. But so as you look at that through Missouri and Eastern Kansas, we were significantly below normal on rainfall through the growing season period of April through October. And you can see in uh, West Central Missouri, we're about nine inches below. But if you take a look at the big picture of the whole corn belt, uh, clear out into Ohio and Indiana, we were significantly below normal, up to four to five inches through Indiana. And so again, when you think about how to look at data and what influence a year like this compared to what would have been having been flip side of this, where it's super wet, you can get some huge changes in how the information looks. So that's why, again, it's important to look at the big picture. And that's why we put this information in our presentation, just to kind of outline the importance of looking at multiple locations. Yeah. But on top of that, if you take a look at how the season changed through the growing season, um, this is July. Uh, we kind of had a flip-flop. We had a little bit of a wetter period in July through much of the area that had been very dry. And if you go into August, Missouri had some very significant rain events. Now, did it do much for us in terms of fixing our drought? No, because they tended to come in violent, heavy yes. rainstorms. Yep. And if you take a look at this, those geographies within Missouri or within any of the states are big. And yep. we're looking at one monitoring station within those regions, I believe, this is how this is calculated. So we may have had areas that had heavy rain events while neighbors did not. Yep. But again, just applies to the variability we had in 2023. One of the issues to me we saw with this later August heavy precip period, I believe that's what drove some of our disease issues we saw. We had a fairly significant disease mm -hmm. pressure year in soybeans yep. in particular. You think we, we even had uh, Phytophthora show up in local fields late season due to ponding water in those heavy yep. rain event situations. But we also had a significant amount of pod and stem blight in soybeans. And I believe that was primarily driven by a lot of these wet areas we had. Uh, wherever we had wet areas, that's where we tended to see more of the pod and stem blight. Yep. Followed by the stressful period that it came back in uh, September where we became very dry again, uh, right near harvest, right as we approached harvest. So kind of shifting gears a little bit to look at the monitor, the drought monitor. You know, you can tell as we flip through, this was June, we get into July. Uh, we saw a little bit of easing in July and August in parts of Missouri. But as we move back into September, the uh, drought started to build back again. As you get into uh, December, this is the most recent map we have today. 
Um, we could, we need to add some more maps to this, but you can see in some parts of the U.S. as we moved in December, uh, the drought has actually increased significantly, particularly in uh, Tennessee, uh, northern Mississippi, and Kentucky, uh, even in parts of Nebraska and Iowa, we still have significant drought. Now, in recent weeks, we've had a lot of rain and snow, so right. I have a feeling it would look a lot different if we look at these early January yeah. uh, drought monitors. But again, we're not out of the woods yet on drought, and yeah. so next year will be interesting to see what we wind up with. Yeah. So shifting gears into temperatures, uh, it's a little bit flip-flopped here. You know, blue does mean cooler on this particular map, so you've yeah. got to kind of keep that in mind. If you take a look at uh, April through October, we were roughly about a degree, a little less than a degree above average for temperatures through our local area and through much of the central U.S. As you get into the eastern Corn Belt, they were below normal. So that had a, a big impact on some of the disease pressures, even though they were dry and just how the crops grew, uh, grew for us. Um, one thing I want to point out, this is the temperature taken at 7 a.m. It's the departure from normal uh, measured at 7 a.m. So this is kind of taking into account the impact of nighttime temperatures a little bit as well as we look at this information. Moving into May, we were still very warm. You get into July or June, excuse me, um, more normal, a little more normal, starting to maybe bring her down a little bit. You get into July and then into August. In a lot of cases, it was a little more moderated on temperatures for a little bit. But then as we get into, I believe in September, we see it amp back up again pretty significantly. We all remember that. It got very warm in September. And so if you're looking at a, just across the border there into Kansas, you know, two and a half degree above normal at 7 a.m., Two and a half degrees may not sound like much, but when you're averaging a September temperature that's two and a half degrees above right. normal, that's a very significant increase in temperature, and that could have a big impact on our production. And I can see that can make a big difference when it's 7 a.m. That's what it's recording then, which should be the coolest part of the day. Chances are probably we were close. You know, you could see night and daytime differences, yeah. but it's kind of an interesting snapshot to me to look at 7. I think it is because what I think it's telling us is that how much humidity and how much are you cap holding on to heat and not letting it go and cool down for you. And, and when you think about, especially, you know, in August, we were cooler, which was yes. a good thing. But as we moved into September, yep. luckily, we were probably fairly well finished with a lot of our grain fill. But yep. had it been this hot in all of August and September both, we could have seen a very significant decrease in carbon yep. sequestration or lower test weights due yes. to that uh, respiration that would have been amped up at night due sure. to hot temps. All right, so moving on to the smoke, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at the impact of smoke on crop production. And some yeah. folks claim there are a few positives. One is the scattering of the light, reducing some potentially the temperatures slightly. Mm -hmm. um, also scattering of light, they claim allows for a deeper penetration into the canopy of the light. I don't know that I buy into all that. To me, yeah. um, I, I focus, maybe it's because I'm a negative guy, but I tend to focus more on the negative aspects of this smoke we had. In, the overall reduction in radiant energy. We all know how sensitive crops are to yep. light and anything we do through smoke or cloud cover, especially if that's occurring near pollination, yes. can have a major impact on um, uh, yes. kernel set in our fields. You also see an increase in ozone levels, which reduces the photosynthetic rate of plants, which that's the key driver of building the sugars we need to build the plants and build the grain for us. Um, so seeing both reductions in photosynthate and reduced carbohydrates can result in some of the later season issues we see with standability and reduced yields combined. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, most of these impacts are far more important during grain fill. Uh, so the early season issues we were seeing out east, I'm sure had some impact, especially if they occurred near pollination. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there was times when I was driving around and, uh, well, I, I remember specifically one day in uh, Southeast Nebraska, we couldn't see much more than a quarter mile because of smoke. And oh, wow. I thought we had a local fire going on, but it's strictly Canadian okay. wildfire smoke rolling through there in September. So again, 
not sure the total impact we had on our crop, but it is just a key component yep. of that variability we saw yep. this year. So before we go, um, Scott, on the weather piece here, is there anything else, Selena, that you could jump in on or say anything or any questions? No, I think kind of like Scott hit on the importance of not making drastic changes based on one year of okay. weather, yeah. um, weather patterns and the beauty of us being able to test across 10 different sites and weather patterns and yep. soil type changes and things like that. And looking at the multi-location data to be able to draw conclusions, better conclusions than just from one year. Yeah. I think another key component related to the weather is a lot of our fungicide studies are, were occurring in locations this year with very low disease pressure due to the drier conditions. And yes. so that's another key reason why we don't want to make big decisions off of that one year based Absolutely. You know, on impact and you'd have fungicide treatments, things yep. like that. And that relates to any of our treatments we make in our studies. That makes sense. So like in the future, if one was wanting to make a decision on fungicide and one is anticipating or seeing forecasting want to reduce risk, maybe one could choose a fungicide that's more economical because you don't know that there's quite the return this year, but not to say that this is something that, okay, now from now on, fungicides don't pay. Well, it's interesting, and Selena will get okay. into it, um, you know, you think about the stress mitigation effects of some of the strobies we're using, and there's still some positive advantages we've there seen is. in studies, even though disease pressures were low, and you can see them. Should, yep. I, I don't want to steal Selena's thunder, but some of the images we're going to show are pretty impactful. Yep. Well, and specifically looking at for places to start as well is a good spot uh, after multi-location, but our PFR proven, we had a lot of products or practices become PFR proven this year. And mm -hmm. thinking specifically about our weather patterns in the last two years, if something's working there, maybe that's something that would have high likelihood of success. But another thing we always have to consider with PFR is a lot of our PFR studies on our research farms are small plots with open alleys around them. Yeah, so we can show positive advantages in those smaller yeah, 200 foot by 40 foot yeah. strips. You usually can see that magnified in a whole field situation where you have harsher conditions, you know, yeah. more trees around farms, lower laying fields. Thank you, Scott. Guys, we'll see you on the next one. If you want alerts on what we are finding in the field, go to topagservices.com forward slash signups to receive alert or subscribe to our YouTube channel. It is our goal to bring you the most recent and advanced information possible. If you have any questions or feedback, feel free to reach out to us anytime. We also ask you that you give us a like and follow our channel wherever you listen to your podcasts or watch these videos. This ultimately helps us reach more people like you. Hey, this has been Wendell Cohn, your show host. Thank you to all who made this show possible. This show is over. See ya.